So some of you are going, wait a minute. What's Matt doing wearing a short sleeve shirt? Doesn't he know it's cold out? And I, it is. I have decided that I'm going to usher spring in by my... <laughs> I figure if I start dressing like it's spring, maybe it will become spring. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But eh, we'll give it a shot, right? Listen, uh, we've been talking about how to share our faith. And, um, and I was thinking about that. I'm not really interested in proselytizing people from other churches uh, or from other faiths. I'm interested in proselytizing people from hell. Right? Uh, because I think we have a message that says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And we ultimately can't force people to believe, and we would never do that. But I think there's a way that we can bring the message of the Gospel so they can hear it in the best words, in the best time, in the best way. So they have the best shot of saying, yeah, that's what I want, or no, that's not what I want. And that's really what it comes down to. So the question is, why are we, try, why are we spending a whole month sharing the gospel what, or, uh, to, to talk about how to share the gospel? Well, we're not compelled to share the gospel because of guilt. We do it really out of generosity, generosity and gratitude. I'm tremendously grateful for what God has done in my life. And I want other people to have that opportunity. Like I said, it's like one, one beggar who was starving, who was looking for bread. and we, I found bread, and I just want other people who seem to be starving to know where they can find bread. That's it. We're free from fear of rejection because we know that we've already been accepted by the one who matters the most, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created us in His image, the one who has a plan and a purpose for our life. So we know that the one who, loves, who created us and, and has a plan for us has accepted us because of what Christ has done, so we don't have to worry about rejection because the most important person in the universe will never reject us. We're continually humbled because we realize that it was by grace that we were rescued. We didn't do anything to earn it, deserve it, so we can't go out haughty or, or like we have like all, you know, it all figured out and we're perfect people because we're not. We know we're broken people. We know that God is working on us, healing us and helping us and, and growing us. So we can't go out with, a, with an attitude like we have it all figured out. We go out gently, but we go out bold because we know that we're, it's not up to us to convert anyone. Only God can turn a heart, right? So, so those are some of the things that we're trying to talk about this month. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about where I think we get distracted sometimes. Sometimes I think believers get distracted on side issues. For instance, you see somebody who's living their life hard. They're, they're destroying their life. They're doing things that are destructive. They're not healthy. They're not helpful. And um, it's causing all sorts of problems. And you, you look at them and you go, man, they just got to stop doing drugs or they got to stop this or they got to stop this. And you get so focused on that, you don't realize that's not really the biggest problem they have. So it's easy to get distracted or focused on things. But before anything can really change in a person's life, they need Jesus. And, and that's really what we want to talk about, because until God turns a heart, nothing changes in a person's life. In other words, our biggest need, and the biggest need that anyone we talk to has, is they need Jesus. And until they come to Jesus, nothing really, real change, real long-standing change really isn't possible. 
When, but when Jesus comes in, everything is possible. And I think that we're too concerned with the symptoms rather than the sickness. I think we're looking at the side effects and we're not looking at the cause. We want to treat the side effects rather than getting to the cause of it. And the cause of it is, until a person comes to Christ, there's going to be a whole bunch of things that aren't right. But until Jesus turns a heart, nothing changes. We need to stop treating the symptoms and direct people to the great physician. So here's the first thing I want you to see this weekend is this. We don't change to receive the gospel. We receive the gospel and then He changes us. We don't change to receive the gospel. First, we come to Him and allow Him to change us. And really what happens is we must allow Jesus first to come into a person's life first and save them. And then Jesus plus time will change them. And that's what He's doing in my life. I'm a different person than I was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Hopefully you are too. I think many of you, if you were to, if we were to stand up and stop the service and just say, hey, share a word of testimony about where you were five years ago or where you were before Christ and what your life was like, some of you would tell stories and go, man, I know you and I've only known you after Christ and you're just not that... Pr- I can't even picture you that way. But that's what happens when God comes into your life. But see, oftentimes Christians want to clean people up before they come to Jesus. And and what I'm suggesting is don't try to fix people. Allow Jesus to come in. Allow them to come to Jesus with all their baggage and He'll fix them. It's not your job to fix people. That's His job. So, So the rest of the time what I want to do is I want to talk about how does God change us? How does, when we come to Jesus, we cross that line of faith and we, we say, Jesus, I want you in my life. How does God change us? What's that process look like? Well, the first thing we need to understand is the gospel isn't something that just saves us. It's the way God transforms us. It's, it, it, and, and, and the gospel is, is not... Here's what I think happens to us. We often... Begin the God, we begin to understand the gospel. We say, yes, I know I'm saved by grace. I'm saved through faith. I'm saved because of Jesus. I understand all that. But then we cross that line of faith, and then immediately we work into, we work into works-based righteousness. We say, well, now to, to really be a good Christian, I guess I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. So we, we, now it's become works-based. What I'm suggesting is, even if we come to God with a clear understanding of grace, we often make works-based righteousness... The, the basis for how we change. But the gospel clearly teaches us that we are forgiven, rescued, and saved by grace through faith. Notice what Paul says. This is a great verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This verse was really pivotal for me to really... It really was my heart was turned. I knew my heart was turned when I saw this verse because it spoke to me and it just was like, whoa. <laughs> it was like one of those, you know, aha moments. I mean, it was a spiritual, like one of the biggest aha spiritual moments in my life. Because for the first time in my life, I realized that my salvation was not based upon anything that I had done. It was based upon what Christ had done for me. And it was, a, it was an aha moment. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by His grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things, the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And then he says in verse 10, For we are God's masterpiece. Some translations have workmanship. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Now, salvation always has been and always will be only by grace. We bring nothing to the table. Listen, there's nothing, you know, when we get to heaven, <laughs> there's nothing, there's going to be nothing to brag about, you know? I mean, the most you're going to be able to brag about in heaven is, I was a worse sinner than you, you know? God's grace was greater in my life than yours, you know? I mean, that's basically it. But we, we have to come to a place where we see that we're in desperate need of, and Christ came and helped us and healed us that He met our need, that He paid the price, that He gave His life, that He took our place. Now, God doesn't just save you so that you can go to heaven. In fact, some people have come to me and said, you know, why isn't it that once we come to Christ, He doesn't just take us up to heaven? Boom, you know. know, Hey, hey, you know, John must have converted today. He's gone. You know, I haven't seen him around. You know, it's like, boom. You know, but then then you got to have to say, well, why am I still here? (laughs) You know. But he doesn't do that. He, he, he has us here. Why? Because he has a plan. It, and that's verse 10. He says, you're God's workmanship. I've got a plan for you. Before, the, before time began, God had a plan for your life. Now, that'll blow your mind. Think about that over coffee and a donut later on. I mean, that's just crazy. But God doesn't just save you to send you to heaven. He's got a process. He wants to transform you. And, and this is the problem that I found. Maybe you found it too. There are times where I don't have the ability to change or the desire. I don't want to change. I'm lazy, <laughs> right? And so I need help. And, and this is one of the great verses. Philippians 2. You ought to have this underlined in your Bible or on your smartphone. You maybe memorize it because this is a great promise. This is an encouraging verse. And, and, and if you go to God and say, God, I'm struggling right now. I need your help. I think this is one of those verses that you go, yeah, this is where God, I should pray this. Let me read that verse to you. He says this, Paul's writing. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. We get that, right? Paul's saying, work hard, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Oh, you get the hard work thing, right? Okay, this is the problem. But then he says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what... God never asks you to do something He doesn't empower you to do. Not only that, He says, and you may have the power but not the desire. I'll give you both. You know? So this is a great verse because this tells us that when we go to God and say, God, I'm struggling here. I I just don't have the desire. and, And by the way, what does that say? What does that say? That says that in the Christian life, it's perfectly normal to go through times where you don't desire. So what do you do? You go to God and you say, God, I've, I've allowed the Gospel to become a theory. I haven't allowed it to drip into my soul lately. I haven't been amazed by Your grace lately. I haven't been stunned by Your mercy. I haven't understood how much Your forgiveness is. I haven't been motivated by how I've been set free. I haven't allowed that to drip into my soul. And so I don't really have a desire right now. I've gone cold here. And God will heat it up quick when you start going through that process. You see, we tend to forget that His grace... um, operates in a, in a, not only to save us, but to transform us. You see, He saves us, but He keeps us based upon what Christ has done on the cross. So, here's what I'm su- suggesting. 
We often expect people who don't know Jesus to behave like people who know Jesus. And they don't. And we're surprised by that. We're saying, I don't know why they don't behave different. And it's like, well, it might be because they're not Christians yet. Uh, and I'm suggesting in all of this, don't worry about how a person behaves before Christ. Because before Christ, they have no desire and they have no power to live any other life than the life they're living. The Bible calls us slaves before Christ. The Bible says we are in darkness before Christ. Until the light comes, until the, the, the prison door has been opened up and we've been set free, why would we expect us to live any different than that? And, and I'm just suggesting that we ought to worry more about where a person's heart is than where their behavior is. Here's the second thing I want you to see that we must see that the gospel not only saves us, it transforms us. And here's what he says. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. He says, At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creature. The old life has gone away and a new life has begun. And this is similar to what Paul just said in Ephesians 2.10. He's basically saying, I have a plan for you. Become a new creature. There's something going on here. And, you know, and probably one of the best ways to describe this, and we use this phrase around here a lot, is journey with Jesus. And a journey with Jesus is something that you go, okay, we're going to start this journey. Don't really know where it's going to go. Don't know the roads. We're going to go up and down. Don't know kind of the, the ups, you know, the pitfalls and all that. But we know this, that we're going with Jesus on this journey. And, and, and so that's what he's talking about, that we, we live out the implications of the gospel. See, the gospel isn't something that just saves our souls so that we can go to heaven. The whole Christian life, the whole process of transformation is understanding how the gospel applies to our day-to-day lives. As we begin this journey, as we go on this journey with Jesus, there's a transformational process that the gospel will do. And I'm going to show you how that plays out. Legalism really is all about following the rules. You know, the, the, the best people, the people that excel in legalism, the ones that follow the rules the best. And, but God transforms us so that we begin to live out the implications of the gospel in our day-to-day life. And that's different than legalism. The problem is that we easily default to legalism. We begin the Christian life by grace, but then we default to legalism. We move to legalism. Now, let me give you an example because I want, I want you to be clear about what I'm talking about. It's very easy for us to begin the Christian life based upon grace, but then move towards a legalistic or a different view of the gospel. And, and, the, and what I'm suggesting is the gospel isn't something that just saves us. It's, it's the process that God uses to transform us. The gospel isn't something basic, and now we move on to the bigger things. So we learn about eschatology and, and, and pneumatology and, and you know, Christology and all these other things. You know, no, 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 no. The, the gospel is, is what it's all about. Now, here's, here's the example. Let's apply the gospel to self-control. Okay? So let me read you a passage from Titus where he tells us that we ought to control ourselves, essentially is what he's saying. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Let me read this passage, and we'll, we'll play this out, and you'll see what I mean. He says this, The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And, and, as, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure. So, so t- Paul's saying to Titus, and he's saying to the church leaders, and to us, he's saying, we are to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Okay, we get that. That's clear. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward to the hope 
to that wonderful day when the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave His life to us, uh, to, to life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us His very own people, totally committed to His good deeds. Now, Paul is urging us to self-control, okay? But the question is, how are we to do that? Or why are we to do that? What, what's our motivation? How are we to do this in the day-to-day life? Because, you know, have you ever come into church and you, you, you feel like, man, I just feel like there's more work for me to do here. I need to, to do this more and I need to do this less and I need to do this and I need to do this less. And it's like, it just seems like, and we move into legalism. Like, and the ones that are the, star, the superstars in the church are the ones that can do the things you need to do and don't do the things you shouldn't do. And, and that can turn into legalism really quick. But notice what Paul's saying. He, how often have you tried to say to, to no? To, and, and the question is, we're talking about sinful, you know, self-control and not doing sinful things and doing the right things. But what motivates us to do that? For instance... He says, don't do ungodly things. So how do you say no to ungodly things when they come down your lane? When you're on this journey and this this ungodly temptation or this event comes, how do you say no to it? Well, there's, there's a number of ways we do it. Like, for instance, we say, no, I won't do this. I won't, I won't do it. Why? Because I'll look bad. I'll look bad if I do it. Now, what's that? That's self-esteem motivation. Saying, I don't want to look bad, so I won't do it. Or you say, no, I won't do it because I'll be excluded from this social peer group that I want to be included in. So I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to live a certain lifestyle, and I'm going to make sure everybody within my peer group sees me living this. Now, I don't necessarily... I mean, and, and so that's the motivation I have. Or, no, I don't, I don't want to do it because if I, I want to, I want to uh, live this way, and I don't want to do this because if I do this, then God's going to take away my wealth. He's going to take my happiness happiness away, my health. He's going to punish me. So I won't do it because God's going to punish me or I won't do it because I don't, I'll get kicked out of my peer group or I won't do it because I... Or you say, I won't do this because I will hate myself in the morning. Right? Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever said... You know, some of you say, well, I wish I could say that before I did it because I'm usually the one where I... In the morning I go, I wish I hadn't done that or after the sin I wish I hadn't done that I didn't even think about that but but again even that motivation it's like that's legalism Paul is saying that we must allow the gospel to train and motivate us we need, we need to let the gospel argue what do I mean by that argue uh, the gospel and we need to allow the gospel to sink and seep into our hearts we need to realize how safe and secure we are in Christ. How we are loved and accepted we are in Christ. We need to see that our, our, our identity is, is not based upon what we do or what we don't do. Do you realize that God is not going to reject you because of anything you do or don't do if you know Jesus? Because Jesus took the punishment and the penalty and you're His son and daughter or daughter if you've trusted Him, and He loves you and He accepts you. And I always, often ask people, if I were to say to you, if you could see the face of God right now, would it have a face, a face of a smile? Or would it have a face of anger? A lot of people have anger, and I'm going, I don't get that. Frankly, the anger, the wrath of God was poured upon Jesus. We just sang the song, right? 
It's not poured upon us. And, and so we begin to bask in the Gospel and say, he, Jesus got what I deserved. The grace that I don't deserve, I get. Mercies are new every day. He sent His only Son for me. Jesus willingly gave His life for me. I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. He's preparing a place for me. And we begin to understand who we are. And so now we have a new motivation. We have a new desire to please the Father. Not because of, We're not guilted into it. But we've allowed the Gospel to begin to percolate in our hearts and our souls. You get what I'm saying here? It's a totally different motivation. When the Gospel begins to grip our hearts, we're not merely restrained. We're changed from within. See, all legalism does is it restrains. It doesn't change. But when the Gospel gets into our hearts and it begins to change who we are and how we view ourselves, we start seeing the world in a different way. The principle I want you to see is this. The Gospel doesn't just save us. It's the way that God transforms us. Now, uh, take your napkin out. Okay? So, um, what we've... uh, been doing in this month is trying to share with you sometimes that I, when I'm sharing the gospel with people, uh, I often don't have a pen or a pad of paper or even a board like this in the restaurant. <laughs> they frown upon it. You know, you walk in with your own board, it's strapped on your back, you take it off, you know. Hey, this might, this might be handy in our conversation, just want you to know. No, but you, you basically say, so on a napkin, can you share the gospel? So one of the ways, and this is really a great, really quick way to communicate to people. Because there's a lot of people that if you were to ask them, uh, if you were to die today, would you go to be with God in heaven? They'd say, yeah, I think so. And they'd say, well, well, if you were to stand at the gate of heaven and God were to say, why should I let you in, what would you say? And they'd say, well, I go to church. And so that's religion. You know, religion is all about two letters. Do. It's, I do this, I go to church, I give, I volunteer, I, I believe in God, I do, 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 do. It's like a, a machine gun of doing, right? And it's all this doing. But you know what? The Bible says, that, and, and here's the thing, the Bible says that all our doing, we all fall short. You know, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we can do all we can, but I mean, ultimately, we can't do enough. Relig- Every religion is like that. I mean, even Eastern religion, karma, what's karma? Karma basically is a principle that if you do enough good things that are above or more than the bad things, then your next time around, essentially, you'll have a better, you'll have a better life. If you don't, then you may not have a better life. But you get a whole bunch of chances to try to redo. That's karma. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of world religions that have that built into them that I just need to do enough or I need to do more. But the problem is we all fall short. We never do enough. And God knew this. Um, and that's why Christianity is spelled different. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. And, and the reason it's spelled done is this. What we couldn't do, Christ has done. And He did it on the cross. He lived a perfect life for us. He paid the penalty 
uh, of our sin for us. He lived, you know, I've used this phrase over and over. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And so the Bible says that we can never do enough and Christ has done it all. Christ has done it all. And the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross were what? As He was hanging on the cross. It is finished. Done. 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 And so what I've been trying to tell you in this whole message is this. If you think you're going to please God by your efforts, and that doesn't mean you don't try and you don't work hard, but if you think that's what's going to, the basis of what's going to make you right with God or keep you right with God, you don't understand the Gospel. Because only heaven coming down to earth and Jesus climbing up on a cross could do enough. And Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. The price is paid. I took your sin. I gave you my righteousness. You are accepted not because you're good enough. You're accepted because I'm good enough for you. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees the righteousness of His Son. And we are accepted. That is a really important message for people to hear. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, there's some people that say, I don't get the save thing. You know, you throw this around. Where do you get the save thing? It's the save this, save that. You know, are you saved or are you not saved? Well, this is what it says in the Bible. <laughs> if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. <laughs> okay? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And then he says in verse uh, 13, For everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the question is, are you trusting in yourself and you're going to try to do enough? Or are you saying, I'm trusting and all my complete trust and all my faith is in Christ Jesus alone. So that's a great way to share the gospel to people who are trying very hard to be good enough to be accepted to God. And I, you know, I use this phrase all the time. I, you know, we're working on our resume of righteousness that we're going to present to God and God's going to be, that's fabulous. You get in here. You know? <laughs> and uh, generally, sadly, there is a day where people come with a, with a, with a, with a resume. That maybe it's not written on paper, but they say, Jesus, we did this, we did this, we did this. And he says, depart. I don't know. Why? Because they're relying on this, not this. See, if you, 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 you stand before Jesus and you don't think you need Him as a Savior, you're lost. Now, I want to close really practical this series, and I want to close by um, just saying, how can you help a non-Christian take one step closer to Jesus? Let me just give you a couple of very basic principles, and I know you probably heard this, and for most of you this will be very redundant and not very helpful, but just bear with me if you would. Don't be a hypocrite. Humble yourself. I think one of the greatest things that Christians do is they walk around as know-it-alls, proud and cocky, and I've got all the answers, and they, they never admit it when they blow it. They never admit it when they sin. They never ask for forgiveness. They, and um, they walk around, and you know, I think one of the things that Christian, the people need to see is they need to see Christians acting godly, humbly, like Jesus. 
And I don't think they see that. You know, sometimes we... Um, well, let me... Jesus' strongest words were against people who were acting hypocritically. He says this in Matthew 23, "...which sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones of all sorts of impurity." And then you say, well, pastor, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a teacher of the law. This is referring to them. But listen to him describe this and say if this has not been true of you in the past. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch. You want to know why some people don't want anything to do with the Gospel? Because they met too many Christians. That's sad. Live out your faith authentically. Your actions carry weight. Humility is far more attractive than pride. When, when non-Christians see integrity, it's compelling. Secondly, don't stare at their behavior. Look at their hearts. Just because you befriend people uh, that you don't approve of their lifestyle or their, where they're going doesn't mean that you, you, you are affirming their lifestyle or affirming their way of life. It, it just doesn't mean that. Some of you are the most judgmental Christians. You have zero Christian friends. And you say, I'm too good to... Some of you are, have an attitude... I don't know. I don't know that. I'm saying, is it possible that some of us, some of you, have an attitude that you're too good to love them? And I think we've just forgotten how we've been rescued where we were, our sorry state. See, I think when you understand and rehearse the Gospel, you are affirming how low you were and how high you are and how, what God has done in your life. And we've forgotten that. And, and I think when we understand the implications of the Gospel, we say, and you ask yourself, if I had never been rescued by Jesus, where would I be now? What would my life look like? We forget, folks. We forget. We get pretty judgmental. We say, well, I would never do that. You might do worse. Here's the last thing I want to stop judging non-Christians and start loving them. You know, very few people have been judged into life change. I mean, usually when you walk up to a person and say, I disapprove of your lifestyle, and you should repent of it immediately, if not sooner. And they go, oh boy, I've been waiting my whole life for somebody like you to come along. <laughs> How do I trust Jesus? Do you know? <laughs> Probably not going to happen. <laughs> Paul says something. And this is interesting. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. This is an amazing verse because I think we get this backwards. And I want to close with this passage. Here's what he says. He says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate people who indulge in sexual sin. Okay? Now you say, there you go, Pastor. That's contrary to what you're just saying. You're just saying that you should be with people like that. That you shouldn't judge them. That you should try to love them. And you should try to live uh, a life that is honoring to Christ in the midst of them and not be so judgmental and, and 
condemning them and, and looking at their heart and helping them take one step closer to Jesus. Paul just said, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, right? What do you say next? But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who not only indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. He said, well, I'm talking about people outside the church. People don't know Jesus. That's not who I was talking about. And he says, he says, you would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. Some Christians want to. They want to have Christian communities where they never have to get near people like that because they're dirty, they're filthy, their lifestyles are awful. Paul, Paul never said to do that. He said, you have to leave the world to do that. Some are, but... He said this, he says, I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And then he says this, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning uh, God will judge those on the outside. What he's saying here is we get this backwards. We're all about judging people outside the church for their lifestyles and their addictions and all these things. And pointing fingers and saying how terrible they are. And he says, you know what? Don't judge the people outside the church. Judge the people that are in the church, that say they're followers of Christ, that say they love Jesus, but their lifestyles are contrary. See, if the minute you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't agree and I'm not going to follow His Word... Paul basically says you, you, you can't let that person ride. You need to challenge them. You need to call them to the carpet. He says, but if they don't know Jesus, that's not your job. We got it backwards. We're very judgmental of people who don't know Jesus and their lifestyle. We're not judgmental enough of people who say, I know Jesus, and they're living in sin, and they're living sinful lives. See, we don't have... We don't have the, the integrity to go up to a person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and say, hey, I, I just want to tell you, I'm, I, I know you, we have a relationship, and I'm seeing this going on. It's contrary to God's Word. I want to walk with you through this. I want to help you with this. We don't have the integrity to do that. We kind of want to throw arrows at people outside the church and not challenge the people that say they're... See, one of the reasons that people say they, they reject Christianity is that I don't see any difference between Christians and non-Christians. It's this verse right here. Paul hit the nail right on the head. The problem is, is because we're jerks to the people who aren't followers of Christ, and we're not challenging those who are supposed to be followers of Christ to live lives of integrity. Paul says, basically, the ones you need to challenge are the ones that are in the church who aren't saying one thing and living another. It's different. We've got it backwards, and we've got to think about that. So hopefully these will be principles that will help us to bring the gospel in the best possible way at the best possible time so people can hear it and respond. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your help we can't do this, and uh, we need your help every day. We desire that uh, we would bring this good news to people because it is just that, good news, and people desperately need to hear it. I pray, Father, that uh, you would help us as we take this good news to share it in a way where we've built relationships with people and uh, we have uh, not looked at their uh, addictions or their lifestyles, uh, we, but we look to their hearts. 
And we see what You could do in their lives if they knew Jesus. So, Father, use us this week to help a person take one step closer to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.